Hey there, welcome back to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. Uh, I'm your host for today, Nick Cummings, and this is our 50th episode, which is kind of mind-boggling, but hey, uh, we are here, we're still talking about stuff, uh, ostensibly some people are listening to it, so we're going to keep going. Uh, yeah, let's take a moment to just hoot and holler a bit. Let's please not do that. Uh, joining me today, we have Spencer Tordoff. That is me. Uh, Tyler Martin. Hey, yo. And Doug Bonham. Hola. And the topic for today is uh, PAX Prime 2014. All the stuff we saw, observations we made, stuff that stood out, diseases we may have contracted from breathing the air in the expo hall, uh, all these fun kind of things that uh, colored our experience. So uh, for those of you who uh, were unaware, uh, Spencer and I were at PAX this year in Seattle uh, since this far easier for us to make the trek than anyone else here and uh we we played saw talked about and just generally kind of observed all kinds of games and walked away i think with some different impressions about how the show has evolved and uh our experiences there like for example this is i think se- uh, spencer's seventh pax prime is that right yeah that sounds about right and uh this was my 10th which is uh good golly of- yeah, that means I've spent more than a month of my life at this place. So, Have you been to uh, all of them? No, I missed one the year I moved to Austin, but otherwise, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's um let's uh, let's kick it off. Uh I have a question for Spencer. Uh was there any like general trend or type of game or thing you saw that just stood out to you as like, "Oh, so apparently this is the game genre du jour for PAX this year?" Well, from what I saw, it looked like it was, uh, we're, we're moving into the third person MOBA space. Oh yeah. Big time. That's where all the money is anyway. Like there was this massive Evolve setup. I don't know if you saw that. Well, Evolve is, I feel like just, no, Evolve is like just tank fights from, uh, Left 4 Dead, which I'm actually way into. I'll, I'll probably play Evolve, but, uh, stuff like, what was it like Battle yeah. Cry and the other stuff where it's over the shoulder third person combat, but it's still basically a MOBA, like arena combat? What's the one that uh, Gearbox is making? Uh, that one is. Battleborn. 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 I almost right. said Battleface. Battle, battle Time. <laughs> no, it's not Warface. No, uh, not Warface. Let's be careful here. Was but, it there? Was Gearbox there? Uh, Gearbox was there, but they had. Uh, lots of stuff for Borderlands the pre-sequel, which honestly is something that I'll buy drunkenly at $5 and then um, play halfway know. through. I don't know anyone who's amped for that game. I think Destiny killed any buzz that game ever could have had. That was my assumption too, but there were lines for that game that were pretty lengthy. I feel I like their swag confused. was pretty good. Yeah, it always is. and I mean, uh, Bungie I probably think... destroyed their buzz even more so with that announcement. Uh, what was it, today or yesterday? About the whole, like, if you buy it on current or previous gen, you can upgrade the next gen for free. Yeah, that just came out today, uh, Friday here in the states. So it's a pretty big deal. I I kind of think it lays a precedent down for other similar online focus games. It's uh, a big deal, but I think it's kind of bad for Microsoft and Sony because it that's like one big reason I don't have to get a PS4 this year. Yeah, I can now go get Destiny and just worry about playing it until I get a PS4 and get that version and continue along. That's nice. Nice. I don't think it's an indefinite um, offer 
I do no, it's until January fifteenth, but that's still like an extra six months or. No, I suppose that is four yeah. months. That's pretty yeah. good. Take advantage mm-hmm. of those post Christmas discounts. Yeah, that's true. I wonder how the negotiations for that played out. Like, was that more Bungie saying, "Hey, this is going to be how things go," or rather, Activision, or do they have to like get consent from the platform holders to pull something like that off? Probably, I don't think Bungie had any real say in the matter. I don't think they get to really choose like what these uh, games are developed for, or how it's marketed, or pricing. That's or any a good of that point. Jazz. It really is more of a publisher thing. It was point. probably negotiated between Activision and I would guess Sony if anybody had any say in the matter. Considering how, just how much advertising Sony's got with it. I don't think Bungie is even making the uh, PS3 and C60 versions. I think that's another team. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought they were all in-house, but I don't know for sure. Uh, in any case, Bun- or Destiny was conspicuously absent from PAX, as far as I could tell. Did you see it anywhere, Spencer? I did not. Well, it comes yeah. out in, like, what, a week? Uh, yeah, it's out on Tuesday. It so. does seem like a little bit of a waste, you know. That's just not enough of a lead-in to really generate a whole bunch of buzz. Um, I think they got they more are... than enough hype from the, the open beta. There you yeah. go. There you yep. go. That's where all the money went. Yep. Which is smart because it was at a time of the year when it was pretty dead otherwise for new games. Yeah, it was that summer lull where it's like, hey, here's a pretty sizable chunk of a an upcoming big budget game. Have fun. Indeed. Uh, but no, instead people got to line up for Borderlands the pre-sequel, which apparently takes place between Borderlands 1 and 2, but before Tales from the Borderlands, which is Telltale's episodic thing that was also on display. But honestly, a lot if of you give any sort of shit about the Borderlands timeline, I feel like you're just going to be disappointed no matter what. When you realize that it's not that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. I can I can understand people that play that game for the humor. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. I don't see it myself, but I can I get it. But if anyone was like, "Yeah, I really care about the Borderland mythos." I'm just like, "What?" No. <laughs> You're insane. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, what are you pointing to as, like, something that's worth... That that makes playing the same game over and over again gratifying? Because if it's not the multiplayer co-op, it's the actual narrative you're pointing to? I just don't see it. Yeah, and to be completely fair, I would... I'm the same way about something like Diablo. Like, I just finished playing through uh, that game, oh, Diablo 3, for the f- first time on PS3. And I had fun! But I could not tell you a single meaningful thing <laughs> about that story. Yep. It's basically people get infested with demons and explode a couple times, then you kill them. That's most of it. Yep. A whole lot of clicking on things. Not Which, to, did, did they not, have that at the Blizzard booth this year? Because I know that they yes. had... God, that's real dumb. Like, no, that and Hearthstone, it's like, really? Uh, well, I think the Ultimate Evil Edition with like the 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 console version of Diablo three with Reaper of Souls bundled in is a really compelling. Like I, if I could go back in time and play that on a console in local multiplayer, I would totally do it that way. Instead, it of is seriously like the best version of Gauntlet since the original Gauntlet. Yeah, it sounds like a great time. Like, well, apparently, it, Gauntlet is back. So yeah, but it's being developed by the guys who did Magicka, and I've heard it's kind of rough at this point. And it's a MOBA. Really? No, I don't know. I just, okay. just I mean, ass. there were like a bajillion MOBAs on the floor, so you could say that like, oh yeah, the new Game of Thrones Telltale game is actually a MOBA, and I'd be like, god damn it. <laughs> Was that there? I I looked for Game of Thrones, and they had big banners for it, but nothing playable that I saw. I didn't see it. Honestly, I spent a fairly limited amount of time on the show floor this time. I, I haven't been paying a, a ton of attention, but what I have seen, I guess is kind of representative, is that it seems like they're putting more of their 
um, push right now behind Borderlands Tale or Tales from the Borderlands as opposed to the the, the uh, Game of Thrones game at the moment. Have they even shown sense. the Game of Thrones game? I don't. I think that game is probably going to get delayed or something. Like, there's no way it comes out on time given they've shown nothing. Yeah. When was it slotted for this year? Because I always assumed it would. Come I could have like sworn next it was. They said 2014, but I, I'm not 100 percent on that. Oh yeah, they've shown nothing as far as I know. They had these big banners out on the the Sheridan Hotel, like just across the street for Game of Thrones. They had like a really unappealing kind of interesting quote from george r R. martin on one talking about the riverlands and like the people around deepwood mott so and the the subtitle was iron from ice i think huh so i guess they're going to be talking about like the the people around like where um what are they called this is probably why i don't work in games pr because if i was in charge of game of thrones i would just make a poster that said uh telltale presents game of thrones welcome to the jungle (laughs) (laughs) uh see i i just or just say words or wind i just can't be excited by uh by game of thrones i already know how that game ends and it's everyone fucking dies well Well, yeah welcome to the jungle y'all gonna die uh so let's talk about stuff that we maybe actually like we're interested to see then Um, yeah i'm interested to hear what you guys actually spent some time on and what lines you had to wait in for all sorts of nonsense. Sure. Uh, <laughs> just as a caveat to throw this out here, I made a rule to myself that I wouldn't wait in any line that was longer than like five minutes. Except? Except, with one exception, uh, for Bloodborne. So yep. I guess we can talk about Bloodborne if you guys want. How yeah, long was care. that line? Uh, it was about half an hour. It was really long, lots of people, but once you die, you're out. Oh, Okay. So I made it to the boss, which I was not expecting to do. So I played for about a good ten to fifteen minutes. But hashtag humblebrag. What was that, Tyler? Did you have a gun? Yes. How how do the guns feel in that game? So the guns are like your shield, which is kind of weird, but makes sense when you play it in practice. Um, so you could choose two builds, um, and I didn't want to wait twice, so I just picked the the kind of like lightweight, high agility, high dodging type, which is like this guy with like a a long like blade on a stick and you could push a button to affect the way it worked. So like every melee weapon has an option to like change how it functions uh, using L1. Mm. So if you imagine like your Dark Souls setup or maybe you like your typical melee build had like a sword in one hand and a shield in the other and L2 and R2 or L1 and R1 kind of affected how those each behaved. Um, R1 and R2 affect are like strong and light attacks for your melee weapon. L1 changes the style of your uh, weapon. So like in this case, it was a long weapon on a stick that was folded in. L1 would unfold it and make it longer. Um, and then R or L2 was your gun, which is always equipped. There are no shields. So um, so you know like how you could execute a parry attack by using your shield at the right time to deflect an attack and it would stun the enemy. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, well you're doing that now with your shotgun or your pistol. So. As they're coming at you, you just blast them point blank. They're staggered and take heavy damage, and then you just execute them with your weapon. It's a little more interesting to me. It, it sounds is. like they're differentiating themselves from uh, Dark Souls a little bit more than they did from Demons. Uh, yes. It feels more like a Demon's Souls sequel in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, like, it, the whole cohesive experience felt way more fluid and fast to me than any of the previous Souls games, which is kind of nice... Um, the biggest change, uh, changes that I noticed were one, there are a lot more enemies you're dealing with at any given time, like bigger crowds, 
Like I saw, I think at one point about a dozen guys on screen all coming at me. Um, yeah, which sounds overwhelming and you have to kind of pick them off one at a time, you know, to be safe. But, um, there's also this like really cool mechanic they added, which is probably where the title comes from, which is that, um, as you're, if you take damage, your health bar will like tick down, uh, and leave, but leave like a yellow, like ghost of what the maximum was before you took that damage. And if you strike back at somebody and land a couple blows on them, your health bar will cover slightly. So you're encouraged to keep hitting back quickly and not retreat. In order to keep your health from plummeting like crazy. If that oh, makes so that's sense. that's what they've done to try and counter the you know slow and steady turtle style play that happens in a lot of the Dark Souls, Dark Souls Two, Demon Souls gameplay, I guess. Right, like you're probably going to find yourself being a little bit more reckless and dying a lot as usual, but um, you'll be rewarded for kind of pushing for a faster play style. I wonder if they're going to alter the whole corpse run mechanic that you had to deal with in the Souls games. It's a good question. the The demo didn't have any of that, so. It's uh, hard to say. But uh, it sounds like they announced a release date shortly after PAX for Japan anyway, which is uh, February of next year. So I'm hoping that the North American version won't be too far behind. Yeah, there were rumors that the, uh, or rumors this past week after PAX, that it would be an international debut. So in all regions, or at least all the major regions at the same time. So people are already getting them. Yeah, that would be kind of unique. I don't think there's been that many games that have done that from Japan in the recent past. I think that being published by Sony might help it. I mean, there's been some SEA games that have had multi-regional launches, but not very many uh, Sony Japan Studios games get yeah. international launches. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, really, the last last Japanese game I can think of that had a major, like, all-regions launch was Pokemon last year, and that was, like, the first time that it ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was, I mean, I went in as someone who loves the Souls games. I walked out feeling like this felt familiar enough to be like, it had the same kind of general feel of play, that flow of like tension and release, but, uh, it feels different enough with the guns and the weapon styles and the environments being so much, like they feel so much more rich and detailed and populated that it's just, if I, I'm genuinely excited for it, I'm not looking at it as like, Oh God, another Souls game. Mm. Okay. I, I get that impression from a lot of people, at least over here. I mean, I know a lot of, lot of Dark Souls fans, like a lot. And they all liked Dark Souls 2, but none of them had that same level of enthusiasm that they had for demons and Dark Souls. So I'm sure yeah. they're all kind of looking at this as like, this is the true sequel to Dark Souls right here. Well, isn't it also true that um, the developer of Dark of Demon Souls is the one who's now working on Bloodborne? Yes, the the lead designer, I think, from Demons and Dark Souls 1 is uh, the lead on Bloodborne. Okay. Dark Souls 2 was developed by a slightly different team. It's right. still from from software, though. It's just being published by Sony. Yep. Uh, good to know. Yeah, so um, that was a game that was worth the wait. I'm a little um, bummed that neither of you guys gave Sunset Overdrive a shot, but you were saying the only thing they were showing at PAX was multiplayer. Yeah, so I watched about two full rounds of Sunset Overdrive multiplayer. The line was long enough that I didn't want to wait, but... Um, I didn't even realize that game had multiplayer. Yeah, that's not a game I would buy for multiplayer either. Like, I guess it, they felt it was required, but... Um, it looked like, for the first few instances that I looked at it, like... If Jack Grind Radio had multiplayer for some reason, 
That immediately makes me more nervous, though, because multiplayer has never been Insomniac's strong suit. Like, they've had decent multiplayer. Like, Deadlocked was fun. Some yeah. of the Resistance games were fun for a while. But it's not what I buy Insomniac games for. No. For me, I, I, I'm assuming you, too. It's for the interesting weapon design, the characterization, that kind of stuff. Yeah. and They do great I mean, gameplay. Yeah. I'm actually generally considering do. picking up Fuse this week because it's $5 on PSN. That's probably a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious about that game because I thought the initial trailer looked so great, but then they changed so much about it that I just, I don't know. It looks like a lot of what Fuse or at the time, Overstrike used to be. That's what it was called. Has yeah. been incorporated into Sunset Overdrive because that art style seems much more in line with what Fuse came from. Yeah. But yeah, what I saw was like, it looked like four on four multiplayer craziness with lots of grinding on rails and uh, cool acrobatics, but a really kind of really chugging frame rate, which is fine at a certain point in development. But I think that game is about a month out from launch. So hopefully that was like an older E3 build or something. Two months. I'm pretty sure it's November. Yeah, it's one of those two months, I think. Um, it's not gold yet, which is, I think, an important distinction. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that was the one game coming out this year that made me think, oh, but maybe Xbox One would be worth checking out because this is like, for the from the ground up, just for this console, uh, pretty out there, pretty different from everything else that's coming out this year. Uh, multiplayer alone wasn't enough to sway me one way or the other. I really feel like that game is going to sell and live and die on its single player. October 28th. Okay. So I wish I could tell you more, but yeah. I didn't want to wait that long for a game that looked a little rough in a mode I'm not interested in. Yeah. Uh, the only Xbox One game I played for any length of time was Forza Horizon 2. Mm. Um, which I'm guessing nobody but Doug would have even a passing interest in. Yeah, it's... Well, uh, obviously Forza I never actually got on the... Xbox One, but... Yeah. I'm that Sunset Overdrive will eventually be on other platforms because it's not currently enough to convince me to get an Xbox One. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like Insomniac's going to be in a position where they need to get that out on other stuff because the, as far as I know this is like their one big project right now and it's just on that console. Well, they're that also console's doing, not selling great. They're doing a Ratchet & Clank remake for PS4. Oh, cool. But that's uh, Insomniac, North Carolina. Raleigh. Oh, okay. Is that the team that did Resistance? No. Resistance was uh, Burbank. Oh, okay. uh, the North Carolina team is the team that's been working on Ratchet and Clank games since uh, a crack in time. So they did the most recent, like, Into the Nexus or whatever. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, Horizon for... Fuse, that. I think. Hmm. In any case... Yeah. Um... also that... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of going way off the rails here. They also did that uh, that Facebook and iOS game. The... Yeah, was it Planet something? Uh, it I like played it. Pokemon S game. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't all that great. I mean, good on them for trying, but uh, yeah, no. Xbox One had a pretty weak showing overall. I would say. I don't know, if, Spencer, if you played anything on it, but other than the Halo uh, Master Chief Collection, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of unique games being shown. That's weird. Yeah. Do you think it would have been a huge opportunity for Microsoft being right there 
And yep. by all things considered, like Sony does not have a lot to show off this year. Like, if anyone, Microsoft is winning the battle of exclusives for 2014, but you wouldn't know it by looking at the way PR and marketing and just general buzz is being handled. It's I true. Think... They don't. They do not seem to be handling that terribly well, and you... that's a problem because I mean, they, they need to hit that point super hard. Yeah. It's like you want. Games, we have games. We have games you can't buy on PS4. What does Sony have? Jack, they have stuff you can buy on Xbox One. It's like they it's like they've almost almost traded places with Nintendo. Now granted Nintendo only ever has their own games, but somehow Smash Brothers and Hyrule Warriors is more compelling to people than Halo Master Chief Collection, which What? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty convincing to me. I actually want to play the Halo Master Chief Collection, but nevertheless. I suppose you could say at the very least, Hyrule Warriors is technically a new game. It's technically a new Zelda game, which I think is all you need to say to move it is a million copies. New Zelda. Come I, by, I, nerds. I, I, am, I hesitate to call it a Zelda game. I, I played I mean, a demo at uh, a store over here on the Wii U, and yo, dog, that is, that is Dynasty Warriors Zelda DLC. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't play it. I could have easily played it. I just was like, no. I know. I mean, I I haven't liked those that type of game before. I don't think putting Zelda characters in it's really going to change my mind. I know Aaron's like already like whole hog. Like I'm going to get it no matter what. But if you're expecting like any modicum of Zelda gameplay, you are going to be so disappointed. Yeah, it, really it does, does not, not play at all Zelda. like a Zelda game. Yo, dog, is that a Musou game? Oh, yeah. Now, speaking of um, disappointing and or not disappointing uh, Nintendo games, uh, I did take the time to play Smash Bros., which, good on Nintendo, they didn't have, like, a giant hour-long wait. You just kind of walked up, and they would put you in a line. for Just the the 3DS version, right? Uh, No, they They had had the Wii U version playable, and I played the Wii U version. And uh, it looks great. Apparently, they've been working with, um, I want to say Namco? Yeah, and uh, it's and Capcom, and yeah, it, it it plays fantastically. It feels a lot like Melee. Yeah, it really does feel like Melee to me. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. Honestly, I'm definitely on board. I'll probably get it on 3ds just to have something on my 3ds, and then I'm guessing um, my housemate will probably get a copy on. Um, if on it really Wii does U. come out this year, I'll probably pick up a Wii U and one of those uh, GameCube controller adapters things one back yeah they actually the have oh, yeah. those playable and it was glorious yeah was so they were good. all they were all gamecube stations yeah, i still have a, a white uh gamecube controller that i bought over here when i first moved here oh, i've oh, i've cool. got a couple of gamecube like back in the summertime i bought a wii and basically a smash brothers supply set up and mario kart set up from somebody for like 60 bucks total and then i had to buy wii? a new sensor bar yeah i got a wii recently how does that never come up I thought I mentioned that to you. I think it was in the backlog. Yeah. I definitely have a Wii sitting right behind my TV right now, and it has... I've got um, the, the Wii version of... Well, I haven't really played it yet at all, but I, I, I have one. Is it a Japanese Wii? Yeah. Oh. Uh, gotta hack that shit, bro. So, Spencer. Uh, <laughs> yes. Who'd you, who'd you play as? Uh, I played, they, they were giving people two rounds each, which was also really cool. Two, two minute rounds. Um, I played as the Wii Fit Trainer. Yeah. And, as Villager. And I did that because <laughs> everyone else was like, yeah, Fox or yeah, Zelda or yeah, Mega Man. And I was like, 
we all know the these least least popular characters imaginable. I'm totally uh, gonna main the Wii Fit trainer. They are <laughs> they are pretty good. Um, Wii yeah. Fit has a very physical kind of. Um, I would describe it as uh, just kind of a brawler feel um, to it, and then uh, and they they actually have a male and female versions of the Wii Fit trainer. Yep. Uh, and then Villager. I kind of view him as Game and Watch 2.0, and I'm way into that. Like he just yeah. does goofy <laughs> shit all the time, and I'm like, hell yeah, yeah. Super let's take weird this, utility character. I let, love it. Let's take this fucking fire hydrant and launch it like a rocket at these people. Those are called gyroids. Fuck. Oh, okay. if those leaked screenshots are real. Like I'm really curious to what Duck Hunt Dog is going to play like. Yeah, <laughs> I you know what it's taunt's going to be. I just wish the uh, fake one with uh, Frank Underwood was real. <laughs> I know it's not, but uh, God, I wish. But at any rate, no, um, that's looking really good. Yeah. However, at the same time, uh, Nick, I believe you mentioned that uh, Bayonetta 2 was kind of a letdown for you. Yeah. Uh, just real quick before you move off Smash, I wanted to mention I did play the 3DS version as well. And that looks really nice. Really? For a 3DS game. Yeah, it looked like 60 frames a second, no slowdown. It felt good. Smash attacks felt right. I was... Pretty damn impressed with how that turned out. Good that's because awesome. that's that. I almost guarantee that's gold because it's coming out here next week. Great. Uh, I'm really but curious yeah, I, what the single player element of that game is going to be like. Well, they that was the demo on 3ds. Was like a five minute like run around, beach it up in a single player environment, and then fight a battle. Um, so mm-hmm. they had basically it was like choose a level from the single player modes and then just fight enemies in that like. Uh, they had, like, Waddle Dees from Kirby and, like, stuff from Kid Icarus to beat up. And then at the end of that, you get, like, power-ups, basically, that you take into a four-person battle. Uh, and that felt a lot like the Subspace Emissary stuff from Brawl, which I don't know if it's a good thing or not. I never... I'm leaning towards it's kind of just a thing. Yeah, it'd be I didn't nice play to much just of have Brawl. Some Most of my time was with Melee, and that had some decent stuff to do when you didn't have people around. Yeah, I enjoyed Melee a lot for what yep. I did. I mean, it's basically just practice, right? You know, you just kind yeah. of get the hang of a character. And that's fine, you know, if I'm going to be playing on a mobile device. It, I, it's a little harder to do multiplayer that way, you know. Have you guys played yeah. any, like, online 3DS games? Because I haven't really, besides visiting other people's villages in Animal Crossing or trading Pokemons. I guess I've done that's a few That's about battles. it for me. Just Animal Crossing is, like, the only real-time game I play. I mostly mm. wonder traded away... Pokemon is really horrible name. <laughs> I feel like 3DS does asynchronous multiplayer and cool little weird features better than real time. And it's not by because the hardware can't do it, it's just because the games aren't really usually designed around it. There's a lot of potential with the uh, amiibos. Like what they were talking about where your amiibo is like basically taking uh, virtual data from the way you fight. And uh, Virtua Fighter 4 kind of did that where you had an AI character that you would spar with that learned from the way you fought. Oh, cool. So it'd be fun to do like asynchronous multiplayer where you're basically sending your dude over to someone else's game to see if your friend can beat virtual you. I think that would be a spectacular feature, and I already know that that would end with people getting mad at me for playing really evasively on my you know, <laughs> ghost character. And then me getting really ba- mad at my brother again for the third melee game for picking Kirby, flying to an inaccessible part of the map, and taunting over and over. 
Yeah, that is definitely something that you need to do in that that's, game. That's, that's the younger brother status right there. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, should I should I talk about Bayonetta two before we miss? Yes, that? please. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So yeah, I played Bayonetta two, and long term listeners of the podcast slash readers of the site will know that I wrote a lot about the first game when it came out in I think two thousand nine. So it's been a long time, but it's a it's a platinum games developed third-person action combat kind of game in the same vein as like uh, Devil May Cry, Enslaved, God of War kind of, but with a heavy focus on acrobatics and weird, strange, pseudo-naked attacks. You're really stretching the definition of that genre by including Slaved. Enslaved? Yeah. I would not say it has the same kind of requirement on action-based combat that those other games do. It's less about combos, but yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking Ninja Theory. Uh, um, I guess the DMC game they made would be a closer corollary. Anyway, <laughs> um, so that is, as far as I can tell from like the two levels in Boss, I thought, that is just more Bayonetta. Like, she has a different haircut. What were you um, expecting? Uh, you know... I can't really tell you. I was just hoping that with five years of development under the, behind them, like they would have maybe there's, changed what one of the no buttons does. There's no way this does. game was in development for five years. Or at least not concurrently, like not fully 100% of the time for five years, because was, it's pretty famous that it was basically almost shelved, but it was saved by Nintendo picking it up as publisher. Yeah, and like I didn't mean to imply that they've been working actively on it for five mm-hmm. years. It's more like it's been five years since Bayonetta came out and was like at the time... The de facto character action game. Isn't a lot's happened since then. Isn't this Platinum's first sequel, though? I don't know. That's pretty a good sure, question. Pretty sure besides <clears throat> uh, licensed stuff like Metal Gear, everything they've done has been original properties. I think you're right. It's weird that... I mean, I at the time, if you asked me in like 2009, 2010, what Platinum game should get a sequel, it would have been this or Vanquish, and I'm glad that they decided to go for this, but... Okay, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just it felt way too familiar. And what's worse is that I need to go back and play the first one again. But the texture pop in and depth of field and quality of the images and all that stuff looked really bad for a game that's coming out this month. Like it, it's fine in motion, but if you stop and just look around, you just realize that this game looks very last gen. I've and been that's... told by numerous people, both in the States and over here, that Bayonetta is like secretly like a feminist empowerment game, but I'm one of the people that doesn't get it, because I just think it's just like super, like, oh god, this is super tacky and gross, and everything I've seen of Bayonetta 2 just looks even more so, especially like given the current climate that games are in, like having a yeah. game like that just seems like you guys just don't get it or you just aren't clued in to like the way the culture is going at all are you and like so so the guy who was demoing the game for me because nintendo loves to have people there to talk to you about stuff and they looks just so happy to be there um we were watching this game and i was playing it and like you know i'm just doing an ultimate attack where bayonetta's hair completely leaves her body for the most part and she's standing there like you know in a exaggerated pose while her hair is beating people up and she's basically just completely naked and I'm just like yep this game is still super weird and the guy running the demo is like what i'm like it's just a really really strange game it does some weird stuff with imagery and he just like looked at me and then looked away and i was like okay so nintendo doesn't know how to talk about this content 
Yep. That's no surprise. But nope. what what stood out to me is after after I finished the demo, I walked away feeling like this I don't feel positive about this game, not just because it looks like it's out of 2009, but I feel like my... Because when I finished Bayonetta and wrote a review of it, I was thinking, is this misogynist or is this actually like feminist? Like, what is the message here? And I kind of found myself leaning more towards like interpreting it from a female empowerment perspective. But looking at it now and seeing how it hasn't changed, it hasn't adapted, all that's different is her haircut... I feel like it sends like an opposite message, at least based on the demo I played, and that left me feeling kind of soured on the whole thing because it's a delicate line to walk, and it makes me think that they kind of just lucked into. It's so weird to me, yeah. uh, Nintendo being like the super family-focused company, this all-ages focused company, and then getting in bed with these kind of games with these kind of developers. Like we kind of saw that too in the GameCube when they made the whole push with Resident Evil, and it seemed really yeah. odd back then too. But, yeah, like, Bayonetta and even Hyrule Warriors being developed by Team Ninja, like, some of the female characters in that game just seems like that is very un-Nintendo to have, like, some character in what I would have assumed would be a pretty acceptable game for any age, having, coming out, like, wearing skimpy outfits with huge fake-looking tits and very sexualized. Yeah, it's... I guess what's weird to me is like you see Nintendo doing this kind of very close partnerships with Japanese studios uh, time and again, each generation, they'll find like two or three partners and be like, we're going to hunker down and we're going to publish your games. And, you know, Capcom has been a longtime ally of that uh, Namco recently too, with like development of certain sequels and things like that. I think they did a Star Fox game a while back, but um, Even Konami with uh, the Castlevania games and that. Uh, yeah, Twin exactly. Six. Yeah. The N64 and GameCube era had a lot of Konami. Of course, Konami's like in a whole different place now than those other companies. But... So is Capcom. Yeah, that's true. But uh, it's weird because I'm thinking like, what's the? Is there any Western equivalent? And like, Retro's still making DKC sequels, I guess. But like, it's one of those weird times where like, if you want to be making games that can handle gender issues well, you probably you're not going to see a whole lot of great examples of like. Well, you'd never get Japan. anyone on the record about this, but. I, it's my understanding that Retro basically had Metroid taken away from them because the people in Japan weren't happy with what the Metroid Prime games were. <laughs> and that's granted, crazy. Retro made uh, Tropical Freeze because they wanted to make another Donkey Kong game, but I don't know if they were ever, ever even offered the chance to make an HD Metroid. Like I don't think that even ever came up. If that's the case, it's a huge shame because I know... For me, the Prime games were like phenomenal. Like I would, I would keep playing those for a long time. And but, the last Metroid that wasn't made by them is not very good at all. Well, yep, Team Ninja made that one. That's the yep. weird thing about Japan is that they tend to ignore games that do well in the West but don't do well in Japan. And Metroid is one of those games. It's the same mm. reason you're not going to see a Last Escape three. What's that? You know, like a nine 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 or. Yeah, nine 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 and oh, Virtue's Last Reward. Zero Zero Escape. Zero yeah. Escape. My zero bad. Escape. Yeah, God, I wish that would come out here. The like, third one. Yeah, those games. Or get uh, made at all. I mean, they didn't blow it up in the U.S., but they did well, well enough yeah. to get a sequel. But Virtue's Last Reward did not do well in Japan. It's and a that, bummer. That is the reason there's no sequel. There's plenty of buzz in the U.S. if they want mm. to make a sequel. That's I wonder a shame. if it's just because like companies feel like they need to perform well 
in Japan if they're based in Japan? Like some sort of like if it's a business reality if, or if it's more of like a I don't know, like an unspoken truth or something like that about doing business there. I think, I think it's, it's just m- it's just the West yeah. is always an afterthought. Like if a game does well in America, it's like, okay, we'll keep bringing these games to America. If a game doesn't do well in America, it's like, okay, we'll stop bringing games to America. But if it does well over there and it doesn't do well in Japan, it, the conversation about America never even got started because it didn't do well in Japan. Gotcha. Well, yep. I think this is just another case of Nintendo being Nintendo and Japan being Japan, and I'm just going to wash my hands of it. I hope um, it doesn't turn out that as bad as you're expecting it could be, or you know, it seems like it could be, but it doesn't really seem like it. it's got that chance. Are you still yeah. planning on picking it up, or are you going to wait for reviews? No. I'm waiting for reviews. Um, but if you haven't played the original Bayonetta, apparently it comes with a copy of that as well. So With a bunch of, like, weirdly creepy Nintendo character outfits for her to wear. Yeah. Uh, you can dress her up like Star Fox if that's your thing. I think Met- Again, like, the Metroid creepy. costume and maybe the Link costume are the only ones that make any kind of sense to me, but the Daisy and Peach ones just look creepy because she's like this full, like very adult-looking woman wearing outfits yeah. that look like they're made for either young girls or very cartoony princesses, human beings. I guess my fear is, like, if this game doesn't review well, which I get the sense it may not, they're going to overcorrect away from working with mature developers. And, like, I, I use mature in quotes as in the ESRB rating, but, like, you know, anything with with adult content in it. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, they obviously didn't shy away from Resident Evil, but... Um, but then Capcom's not even making the next Resident Evil for Nintendo. Platforms. I know. That's a pretty big FU. But I guess they saw how 6 tanked, but Revelation did okay, so... But that's the irony, is that 6 wasn't on Nintendo platforms, but Revelations was. I'm guessing uh, the Revelations, uh, what was it, uh, Unveiled, or... Whatever, the HD version of Revelations. The PS3 360 version? It was also on Wii U, so I'm guessing it didn't do very well there. No, well, nothing does. I routinely see it in, like, super discount bins over here. Specifically the Wii U version. Um, I could talk about Nintendo all day, but I want to make sure we keep moving. Um, Spencer, were there any particular games you want to make sure you mentioned? Uh, yes. Specifically uh, Dreadnought, which I uh, had no idea existed. No, not the dinosaur. Though I am very excited about the dinosaur as well. No, Dreadnought is a game coming out... Uh, from the same team that did Spec Ops The Line in a oh. completely different vein. Like, 100% mm. totally different vein. Um, now, granted, <clears throat> I did not know a whole lot about uh, the developers of Spec Ops going into it, and I'm actually going to try and find their name again here, because uh, that's, that's exactly it, right? Like, nobody knows who these guys are, just that they did this incredible game that really kind of turns... Uh, the lens back onto it, like, hey, maybe this violence, we should think about it. <clears throat> Pardon me. They're German, right? Uh, yes, they're German. Uh, they are... Jäger Development is the name. That's right. And uh, actually their first game was a space shooter called Jäger, uh, it turns out. Huh. But Dreadnought... Shh, that's original. Cool. <laughs> uh, anyway... Oh. 
Well, I mean, Blizzard <laughs> puts their name in all of their games as a spell ability, so, you know. Oh, I know. It's obnoxious. So tell me about this game. Does Nolan North voice a Dreadnought? <laughs> what the hell? Dreadnought is an arena shooter, which, to call it that, is accurate, but technically... So it's a MOBA? Um, no. No, oh. here's the thing, is that it's not a MOBA. It's a simplified flight simulator way, where you play as capital ships. And that is very, very exciting to me. I mentioned it in the backlog today, but capital ship combat is something that very few games try to do. And now when I say capital ships, I do mean... um, Like Star Destroyers, right? Like Star Destroyers, basically, Like big-ass ships that move slowly. Yes, and... So how is that exciting? uh, That's exciting just because of the pacing and that it's been done so infrequently. Now, I'm not going to say it hasn't been done well, uh, very specific games have done an excellent job of rendering uh, capital ship combat. A good example would be Star Trek Bridge Commander, where you play as a large capital ship type vessel in the uh, main campaign. And it's really not about maneuverability. It's about, okay, can I keep my facings right? Can I keep the right we- weapons pointed at my enemies? Okay. Uh, there's a lot of positioning, a lot of strategy in that fashion. It sounds like it might be more of like a raid boss battle as compared to like just fighting mobs would be with a smaller ship like an x-wing or tie fighter right exactly but at the same time you're playing as that kind of raid boss it's it's that type of strategy uh so i played that with a friend of mine and a couple acquaintances and i had been watching because first of all the the booth kind of came out of nowhere like i've never heard of either of the games that this publisher is doing i've never heard of this publisher um and then it was like, wait, that looks like capital ship combat. That's That could be really cool. And so I sat around and I, I watched it for a little while. And I, what I'm worried about is that they're, they're planning to launch it free to play. And, uh, you know, they'll have customizations available, blah, blah, blah. Some monetization strategy, I'm sure. But what I'm concerned about is that nobody seemed to get it. Like, I was sitting in line and I watched dozens of people uh, fire up the game, pick the smallest, fastest class there was, which is called a Corvette and proceed to just charge into enemy fire and die over and over, which Hmm. is very, very dumb. Like I'm sure that the Corvette has a tactical use, but they're trying to lone wolf it. They're basically trying to take the call of duty style approach. And that does not work for what they were doing. And I kind of realized that because, you know, I'm an aficionado of this very small genre. Um, So what I did was I talked to my friend and the two people that were in line kind of near us. And I was like, okay, well, uh, Leaf, what do you want to play? He's like, well, I want to play the giant, you know, dreadnought big ship. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to pick a support ship, which can do some repairs. Uh, The other... The other two, they did that as well, and uh, it was a very slow, very tactical, very paced style of game, where we had the uh, the large ships that were providing the heavy fire, and then a couple smaller ships that were using cover, using the big ships as cover. Uh, it's a very metered tactical uh, experience for an action game, and I think that's really, really cool. So, to talk, like, kind of walk me through the pacing of the game, like... Did you feel like you had to constantly be adjusting what you were doing and communicating with your team? Or constantly is it more like communicating, a... yes. Now, there are spans of time where you're traveling, 
and because you're in such a small uh, or such a large rather vessel, um, that's going to take some time. Like you'll yeah. see where the enemy is, you know that they're coming, and you're like, okay, power to shields. We're anticipating them here, so I'm going to move, uh, you know, into cover. But communication was 100% key. And, you know, that's true of any team-based game. But this this was kind of on a different level just because there was so many gaps. And then, you know, once everything broke out, uh, then you had to, you know, say, okay, I need you to move here. I need to get back behind you. I need uh, you to launch your nuke at these people. Um it's yeah, it's kind of a deep experience, um, and one that I'm, I guess, I'm really partial to. I just like, I like action games. I like tactics. They don't carry over quite a lot, and then it's you know, a yeah. style of uh, ship combat that gets very little play. I think it's cool that it exists. Uh, I guess my last question would be, what do they do to kind of set player expectations? Because I know it's a big challenge uh, at a show floor where there's so much noise. Is like. You can't really ask people to do a long tutorial or read a whole sheet of paper before yeah. playing a game. Um, was there be- much being done there, or did they kind of just hope for the best? They were working on it. Now, granted, uh, Dreadnought blew up in a really big way um, through some combination of word of mouth, the game looking really cool. Like every- All of the screenshots had a little... Or not screenshots, all of the gameplay footage you were watching said pre-alpha build on it, and it's one of the most gorgeous games I've ever played. And so I was like, whoa, okay. I don't know what you guys think pre-alpha is. Um, But they were also... uh, They were actually trying to do a bit of a tutorial um, just right before you get into the game. They didn't have an in-game tutorial. So it was team members... um, Like, they they had some cards showing here's the the different classes. They were just kind of passing those around in line. And then uh, when you got there, they gave a very brief explanation of uh, here are the keys... Here are your four abilities. Try to constantly use your four abilities. Um, Here's how you direct power. That's this bar here. Uh, Just kind of a quick rundown, which I had mostly picked up from just watching the game being played. But I imagine that did maybe put a damper on some people, because it is kind of a lot to take in. I'm sure that once they have an actual tutorial in place, it will break it down a lot more easily for people. But... Yeah. Um I mean already once you once you have six axes uh axes rather in play uh, that's kind of a lot to just put on people to start and then from there they've got to figure out you know exactly what's going on with the rest of it so Yeah I get the sense you tell somebody tactical ship combat and they're just going to give you a blank stare 99% of the time just cuz kids these days didn't grow up with like wing commander or tie fighter or you know, that whole style of methodical, systemic action. And I mean, even even fighter-based ones did have a certain, you know, amount of uh, cerebral kind of tactical aspects to it. Like, the whole power management of the the fighter, uh, you know, space fighter mm-hmm. subgenre. Um, which, as a little kid, I didn't even fucking understand. I was just like, well, I'm out of lasers! And then I would crash into something. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, and then, and then to take it and make it even slower, but I think it has the potential to be really, really cool for team games, uh, just because of how thoughtful it is, how paced it is. Um, like, you, honestly, I could almost see it as a spectator game. Where with with shit like League, 
if I'm watching professionals play, I don't know half the shit that's happening. Like, what is going on? Somebody just died. I don't get it. Um, with Dreadnought, you're never going to be at risk for that, but there is quite a lot of um, anticipation of things happening. So, cool. I don't know if, you know, maybe it'll just totally uh, burn out and nobody will hear of it again, but I really want this game to catch on. Cool. Did you walk away impressed then? Like, it, yeah. it met your expectations? Cool. Oh, big time. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Was there anything else you saw that was cooler, or was that your game of the show? If you had that's to kind of one? my... I think that's kind of my game of the show. Um, you know, other stuff kind of looked cool. Uh, Evil Within looked like a slasher horror flick, which would probably make me pee my pants. Um, yeah. I didn't play that. I didn't play it either, because I'm too much of a coward. Like, I th- Yeah... I thought about it, but I just played PT the night before, and there's only so much I can take of that <laughs> from, right, like, right. a year. Uh, um, is there anything else that really leapt out of me? Again, I I did not spend a whole lot of time on the show floor this year. I, uh, hmm. I was working at a booth. I was kind of going around and seeing people, and I did spend a fair amount of time doing uh, board games and card games and that type of thing and just kind of shooting the shit. Cause, okay. I don't know. The expo is really not my big fixation at PAX. Um, I enjoy it. I like to go through it a couple times, but it's not where I spend most of my time. Interesting. I used to spend a lot more time at the game rooms, at like the tournaments and stuff. And as time goes on, uh, most of my time goes into panels. Um, Mm, Right. And then the expo a bit. Like there's still like a few other games I was hoping to mention if we're not, if you guys aren't bored to death already. No, go for it. um, Okay. But yeah, like I, I do want to come back to like how PAX has changed for both of us at the end, and maybe just you know as an end cap of like, you know we've both been there a long time. What do we think about it now? But I don't. I do want to make sure I mention a few more big games, just because we are a podcast and hopefully we are educating people on something. Uh, games I didn't play: uh, Far Cry Four, uh, because honestly, uh, so if you get a chance, you should listen to the most recent idle thumbs episode where they talked about this but holy shit if you want people to play your game maybe don't like put megaphones and loudspeakers around an octagon ring where people are wearing animal costumes to beat the shit out of each other what yeah, I, I saw that and i just kind of went uh and then i walked away it's like I, I, maybe that's what esports is maybe they finally figured it out wait it's wait wait wait, wait. They, they had a ring with people in animal costumes fighting each other as a sales pitch for Far Cry 4 as a chance to win free shit. So it was uh, meanwhile pure there were furry playable match. Yeah, it was furry larp deathmatch. Jesus. That sounds kind of fun to watch though. I'm, I, uh, but there was a game there too somewhere ostensibly. I just it was completely overshadowed by this stupid spectacle and it was like it didn't even demonstrate the game. Like when they had the big just dance stages and like that was still people playing the game. Yeah, it was also like a great exhibition. That also Same thing with like entirely why I play the Far Cry games though. We, for the crazy chaotic shit, yeah. But if it's just two animals in fighting in a cage, or in this case, two like sweaty dudes wearing animal suits, I I mean, there's a place for that, but I don't want to be near it. You're going to be eating your words when you find out that's actually a mission in the game. So be it. If that's what the Blood Dragon version of this game is, I'm all in. But uh, yeah, so that that game looks pretty great from the trailers. I didn't want to go near that that booth. It was just too loud and too weird and too 
like they were trying too hard, you know, like this, it's a kind of spectacle that you associate with E3 maybe as someone who hasn't been there. I associate with like marketing department spending way too much money and trying way too hard to draw in people. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I, I don't want to trolling. Aside, I, don't buy into I this. see where you're coming from, but if this game really is just like far cry three in the Himalayas, it doesn't matter what Ubisoft's marketing does. Like, I'm in. Yeah, ultimately, I'm pretty much there. As ridiculous a spectacle as it was, and as much of a turnoff as it was, I don't know. Far Cry 3 was really good. I'm pretty excited to try out Far Cry 4. Though so, I did not wait in line for it, so... I'm in a weird place, because I went back and played Far Cry 2 after 3. And now I really like Far Cry 2. Even though it's way less fun to play, it's Far way Cry more 2 is a better game that's just bogged down with some immense bullshit. Yeah, totally. It's It can be really fucking annoying, and I mean, for no good reason. Far sometimes. Cry 2 is like a textbook example of why you shouldn't let realism get in the way of making a video game. Like, yes, technically, malaria is a problem in Africa, do I want to play a game where I have to periodically take malaria medication? No, I don't. Really don't. Really? Because I feel like that could work really well as a mechanic in a game. Like, you are going to die from this illness if you don't keep taking care of yourself. Like, in that a different compelling. game? Yes, I think it could work yeah, in Far exactly. Cry 2. I think it doesn't No, it doesn't sound like much fun in a shooter at all. No, but that's the... I mean... As, as I said, it's not a fun game, certainly not consistently, but it was damn interesting and if, ambitious. Uh, if the Campo Sano guys told me that, like, oh yeah, your guy in Firewatch is asthmatic, so occasionally when you do these very active things, you're going to have to grab your inhaler, that makes sense. Yep. If you told me in a Call of Duty game that your guy is asthmatic, sometimes you have to grab his inhaler, I'm like, what? No. <laughs> Screw you. Yeah. It's not a perk I want. And then, by the same token, though, like you look at the plot of like Far Cry Three and how that game starts out as like a very slow descent into the madness and the like the bloodlust of combat, and ends up with like I have a fucking wingsuit and I am just destroying camps full of people. It just kind of it felt it veered so far in the opposite direction that I feel like it was just as problematic from a narrative standpoint. That may be oh, why no I enjoyed. Um... Blood, Blood Dragon, Dragon a little yeah. bit more because it just embraced the <laughs> absurd rather than trying to be like, oh, it's Heart of right. Darkness. You're the Murder King. It fit the Blood Dragon setting. For yeah, oh, Blood Dragon went too far in the other direction. I thought so too. I thought it was pretty dumb, but it felt more like a natural fit for the shit you were pulling off. I don't. Know. I I, th- I feel like anyway. um, Far Cry Three kind of fell in a awkward middle ground where it was like trying to explain the violence but also trying to have a narrative. Um, Why not just reconnect with Far Cry 1 and just make it a guy who ended up in a crazy situation? There you go. There you go. That's all you need. Um, it's like I hate like the super apes. gorillas, but the rest of I need, At least it didn't go crazy. quite so far as uh, as my feelings on um, The Last of Us. Because, uh-huh. my again, my experience with The Last of Us was, you know, it was good. I enjoyed the game. But there was this huge disconnect between the story that's being told that's really, you know, grim and dark and, you know, emotional. And then I get into combat and scream, taste the brick at somebody, throw a brick at their head and then run over and stab <laughs> them in the throat. Like, that's yep. fucking insanity. Like, that, th- those two clash very, very harshly. So, To be fair, I never did that because the game never told me to. 
yeah, I just kind of figured that one out on my own. And also, I'm, I think we might need to see a psychiatrist. I think <laughs> Last of Us is a good example of why difficulty settings don't make sense in narrative-based games. Yeah. Like, I understand they wanted to make their game accessible, but that absolutely feels like a game to me that should be difficult. Like, yeah. there should be challenged. It should be, like, the Dark Souls of third-person shooters. It is a game about survival and the brutal shit you do to survive. So, yeah, if you're running around, like, charging at someone, yelling, scream the brick, they are not accomplishing their goals. But at the same time, it's because it's it's supposed to be, like, a puzzle you're solving as opposed to a, like, Gears of War-style firefight that you're surviving. Right, but, but you I easy, did not... you don't need to play it as a puzzle. You can play it as a Nope. That's how I played it. So, but that... You're a failure. That, yeah, that's, yep. yeah, that's the game breaking down between the narrative and the gameplay. And, like... Like Tyler was saying, the way it's supposed to be played, they actually mesh up quite nicely. Like there is real feeling of tension and nervousness going to a firefight, or you know, especially you're trying to once avoid you it unlock the final difficulty where you don't have the the weird like daredevil sonar sense. Oh, you don't? No. Oh fuck that! See, for me in Last of Us, like once it's okay, twice you fail through the combat, it starts to get you know it's like, okay, I'll get better, I'll get better. The third or fourth time you're failing an area, just like fuck this, I want to get through it. That's I want to that's see what the, the storyline. And they is. should just have a Mass Effect esque, uh, Grand Theft Auto style. Fast yeah, forward just me. Skip the combat. Go next to the next story scene. Yeah, that's. I, mean, I think it's a challenge that they hopefully are aware of because like there's a weird push and pull between wanting everyone or as many people as possible to see the story to, through to the end while still making sure they experience the difficulty, they feel the challenge, they have to think. They struggle, you know, to get to the end because I think the struggle is important. And we've had conversations ourselves about how the Telltale adventure games are kind of barely games at this point. Yeah, but I bet more people are seeing those games through to the ending than other adventure games. Yep, because it's not as reliant. Or if you do make a mistake, it's very, very fast. To it's not like a huge. Oh, you have to go back five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. You're you're right back where you were, and really, I don't think I've, many people run into mistakes on a regular basis. It's Is it a possible lot to die in one of those games? Yeah, in a Telltale game, yeah. In, uh, season two of Walking Dead. Yeah, oh. it's brutal watching Clementine die. I didn't know that could happen. I've never. I don't think I've died in Walking Dead season one. Uh, you can well. The only times I really had a problem with it in either season one or two are when the directions are a little bit unclear, or when it's like, especially in season one, when you're doing things like shooting sections or shooting gallery type of stuff, and the 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 controls were like dancing with two left feet. It was just not a good thing to put into this game with the controls that were available. Man, you really hate just, heavy rain. For me, it's just not paying yeah, attention. Yeah, probably. I'll just put the controller down because it's a conversation scene and a zombie will pop out somewhere and be like, oh shit, I forgot this is a video game. Yeah, learn <laughs> that lesson, son. You yeah. should play long enough, you should know. Um, uh, again, I don't really care because you die and you just immediately go back like 30 seconds. So, yeah. okay, yeah. I'll do it right the next time. Um, going back to stuff at PAX, just because I don't want to go too far afield, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if Jessica still listens to our podcast, but I did watch Costume Quest 2 and it looks just like Costume Quest and hey. I will buy it. And that's all I wanted. Is it going to have voice acting? I don't know. I'll still Probably play it not. if it doesn't, but I, I wish it would. Well, it looks and feels so much like the original that I would kind of feel weird if they suddenly gave uh, Reynolds and Ren 
like um, voices. I'd rather it not. Because yeah. either they hire adults to play children, or they hire children actors who are awful. Yep. Telltale, or I'm sorry, uh, Double Fine's really good with voice acting casting, but at the same time, I still feel like this is a game that doesn't really need it. No. Um, what else really was cool? It's Double Fine's budget these days, either. Mm, yeah. Did you guys go check and see any games that you have kickstarted by chance? Oh god, what have I kickstarted? I haven't kickstarted anything in a long time. Um, I found an early access game I'm going to buy. Was uh, Wasteland there, or maybe Shadowrun? I I think I saw Shadowrun. Shadowrun somewhere. was there, but I mean Shadowrun yeah, I already have, and I like it a lot. And you know, they got that director's cut coming out soon, don't they? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, mm. I still haven't played it. I own it, but that's cool. Uh, I think Wasteland might have been there again. I don't. That's not a game I know much about. Uh, but Nuclear Throne is the game that I saw and watched and kept watching and was like, oh my god, why don't I own this yet? That's the Flambeer <laughs> um, game, right? Yeah, yep. it's Flambeer's new game. Uh, it's just, it's a cool thing where they've been developing it very transparently. There are new builds coming out every week and they live stream every week, showing off new features, guns, enemies, etc. It's like a roguelike, randomly generated um, Double Fine's been doing that shooter. too with uh, Massive Chalice and um, yeah. Space Base. Yeah. I watched part of the Massive Chalice uh, quick look that Giant Bomb did with uh, Brad and Brad, and it was like Brad Brad uh, Shoemaker was like, I haven't seen anything about this game, and Brad Muir's like, which is really funny because we've been putting everything out about this game. Yep. It's um, still need to really check rough. It out. What's up? It still looks really rough. I, I don't would be surprised if it was at PAX. It was at PAX. People were playing it. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was saw where it was i didn't play it which is play it kind either, of dumb because i well, i mean i kickstarted it i'll play it eventually a lot yeah, of games like that are and below. tossing outwards like alpha these days but that game looks like hard alpha it's out this month massive chalice massive chalice yeah wait for real no I, it's not according to according to wikipedia the full game then wikipedia has not updated wikipedia since the kickstarter started okay maybe i just checked it this morning but um, it's expected to be released in September 2014, is what they're still saying. But maybe uh, they just I, haven't put out a release I date. That game, I'm including the updates, and there's been nothing about. Hey, this game's coming out. Okay, well maybe it's not. Uh, if it's I think I was seeing that launching too. on uh, Xbox One. Well, that sucks. Yeah, it's a it's exclusive, well console exclusive to Xbox One, which yeah, kind of pisses dumb. me off as a backer, but. Since the Kickstarter never even mentioned consoles or handhelds, I can't be all that angry. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it looked good from what I saw, but maybe it's rough to play. I don't know. They had it playable, though, so good on them. Um, but yeah, no, Nuclear Throne looks like fucking great if you like Flambeer's intense, weird action games. Um, I played Pokemon Art Academy. <laughs> what about it's Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire? They only had video. Yeah, if you read my limerick, it's uh, they only had a trailer. You read uh, limerick? You didn't see dude, that Dude, have you like, not checked Twitter or the website? I, I will say, though, have you read I, my limerick is one of the most sentences I've ever read. So. <laughs> <laughs> Spencer sentences, maybe. I pretty much dropped off of Twitter since I went to summer camp. It's been really difficult for me to keep up on Twitter. That sounds like a healthy choice, actually, given how fucked up everything's been on there lately. 
Um, anyway, yeah, no, I, I decided rather than like write a lot about each game, I just wrote a simple limerick. Because why the hell not? Because it's a po- poetry form that the medium deserves, I think. Gotta use that journalism <laughs> um, degree for something. Right? Yeah, those, that lyrical reporting class is really paying off. But um, no, they just had a trailer. And it looks just like the graphics engine from X and Y, but in the Hoenn region. So, Ooh, if Hoenn's your dad. When that was first announced, I was totally just like, don't yep. need this. But the more I watch, the more I'm just like, oh, but I want to play it. See, really? I'm the, I never played those games, so... I'm in the weird opposite boat where my introduction to Gen 3 was Fire Red and Leaf Green. So it's like, that generation in my head is I want to play Red again in the X and Y engine, and why isn't that a thing? But, yep. again, I have a tiny idiot child brain, so... No, that's what I want, too, but that's because I, I didn't play... The, I never played a single GBA Pokemon, so I just missed that completely. Ruby and uh, if I had were really good games. I heard that. Um, I wish I had played them. Uh, but no, it just looked like more of the same. And like in a weird twist of fate, I actually beat the Elite Four while I was walking around the Nintendo area and like looking at that trailer. And I was just like comparing the battle on my screen to the trailer. And I was just like, they didn't do shit. <laughs> like this is just, they even rendered all these fucking Pokemon already for X and Y. So there's like no work to do except translating the map over. Hey, there's new um, Mega Pokemon. Good for them. Isn't there Pikachu wearing a luchador outfit? I yes. well, that yes, actually changes. Oh my god, name. what? <laughs> There's a bunch of different outfits you can dress your Pokemon up in for the beauty contest. Which oh was yeah, there's there's like Sapphire. there's like a fucking Southern Belle outfit for Pikachu and things yep. like that. Right, except you can yeah. actually have them in combat in those outfits. Apparently, what? Oh, god damn it! So I know this is going to sound really fickle, but I could I could buy a game just for that. Yeah, like that would be worth it. And also the, like I, I've come to Pokemon later than you guys did, especially with Tyler, because I know he was playing them since when they were first coming out. But now one. reading that uh, that Hoenn is basically based on a Kyushu in Japan makes me really want to get into that as well. Hmm. Because that's where I lived. So interesting. If you're expecting like a Persona esque like nostalgia, <laughs> I think it's misplaced. Oh yeah, you may, no, you may want to not at all. Inaba. Just I'm. Like I'm interested in seeing what they do with that. Nothing. Or what done with that. <laughs> when they say like Pokemon games are loosely based on certain regions, they keyword mean loosely, loosely in like the okay. loosest sense of the term. I don't like, know, dude. Did you play X and Y thinking, "Hey, I'm in France"? No, exactly. They had the Eiffel Tower. That they did, <laughs> sort of. It was in the middle of a giant Pokeball-shaped city, so as far yeah. as I know, it's 100 percent accurate. It also, also looked a also lot like a Tokyo Tower. <laughs> Yeah, but that's yeah. that that's that's on that EA Sports. If it's in the game, it's in the game sort of thing too. Because Tokyo Tower is not exactly a uh, distinct uh, difference from uh, the Eiffel Tower, and that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I don't know where you're going with this. Speaking of 3DS games, I played Sonic Boom. How bad is that? It's fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even spin dash in 3DS version. What? Is that the new one they're redoing based off of like the new cartoon that's coming out? Yeah, it, it's Scarfy the Hedgehog and like oh. big chested knuckles and weird, weird, weird character design. It looks okay on Wii U if you really love that 3D Sonic gameplay still somehow. If you're like young and don't know what a good game is. But holy shit, like good for you Nintendo for landing that exclusive. I'm sure that's going to really just do great for you. 
I am at Sonic, Sonic now where I'm at for Star Wars, where I can look back on those old games, and I was like, yeah, I guess they were good for how old I was and when I saw them, but yeah. now looking back, it's like, they're not that great, though. Uh, it's actually a remarkably mm. apt comparison. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say I miss Sonic 2 on Game Gear, but I now realize that uh, I would actually be very excited for a uh, just a new non-Sonic team to, to pick it up. Like Sonic 2 know, just, is just the Empire here. Strikes like, Back of Sonic games. There you go. There yeah. you go. Um, but like, just imagine like, something like the developers of Shovel Knight doing a Sonic game. Like, Something yes, like please. That. I'm I'm starting to feel like Sonic is also a bit like Weezer, where there's <laughs> it started so hot. Sonic and then Two is Pinkerton. There's been a lot since then, and you're wondering which one was the anomaly and which one is their actual like ability. The thing is, Spencer, you well, this already got your early. monkey's paw esque wish because Sonic Boom isn't made by Sonic <laughs> Team. Yeah. Well, fuck. It's right an American now. developer. <laughs> I. I uh, yeah, well, good for them. So it makes me think that maybe the problem isn't Sonic Team. Maybe the problem is Sonic was never all that fun at all. That's what and I'm trying to. That's what my point is. We're kind of rattling around in my head. Is like we've had about you know 3.5 good Sonic games in a little over 20 years. What yep. like are these a whole lot of bad anomalies or are these like a few good anomalies in there? I have to say, I feel like Sonic Advance was not that bad. I mean, you could count it as maybe point two of a good Sonic game. I would say it's the best handheld Sonic. But I played a Game Gear with, like, Sonic Chaos, and, like, holy shit, Ooh. there were a lot of bad Sonic games. And a backpack full of double batteries. batteries. <laughs> yeah. A pillowcase full of batteries. Who made that? The longest extension <laughs> course that, you could find. Were you going for oh. the Arrested Development reference Damn. there? <laughs> yeah, Nick, the word nice. thing. Very nice. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think Sonic was never a great game. Sonic 2 had a good flow to it, but it I still feel like it was a game that was fundamentally always at odds with itself, with you know exploring a level versus going as fast as possible. And they were constantly bumping up against each other with problems that ultimately fucked the player over. Yeah, so, the the, really the going as fast out. as possible part is the fun part of a Sonic game, but then the only way to make it like a replayable challenge or give you any difficulty ramp is to make you go less fast or yeah. give you difficulty in going fast, which just kind of bumps up against the main fun point of the entire design. That's why Sonic and Knuckles is secretly the best Sonic game. Oh, it totally is. You get that like flying exploration factor? Fuck yeah. And yeah, it was real good. Climbing I walls. I like. I still lot. need to play a Sonic CD. Yeah. Honestly, though, what stands out most for me from the Sonic games, though, to this day, is probably the music. Had some of the best music yep. for the 16 bit Yep. Version. Which, too. Then, then Sonic oh, Adventure on the Dreamcast has butt rock. Well, because everything from Japan is <laughs> butt rock. around at the speed of sound. <laughs> oh, my God. I just got nom flashbacks to the fucking Sonic Adventure soundtrack. <laughs> Thank you for that. You loved that game. <laughs> Yeah, I was the biggest Dreamcast apologist in the world. <laughs> yeah, you do yep. not get to like pre, pre- oh, like God. change history and decide like, oh yeah, Sonic Adventure that was terrible. There was that year I'm, though in, J- in Japanese game design where every game had a butt rock song in it. Like Sonic <laughs> Adventure Two came out, Final Fantasy X had that shitty track. Was, oh God, that was hysterical. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving it. I'm giving that Sonic wasn't Adventure even butt rock. That was like butt metal. Soft pedal. <laughs> 
I'm giving it the soft pedal because I know that not everybody is a fan, so I'm only counting that as like point five of a decent Sonic game or a good Sonic game. What, Two adventure? characters in that game were fun. And I'm counting Big the Cat as one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Are you counting so, the Chow Garden as the other one? <laughs> no, that was pretty bad. Uh, I, just I the... leveled a Chow with a VMU. I was that no. guy. you monster. And um, the, the battery in the damn thing lasted about five hours tops. Yeah, that was garbage. It didn't even recharge. So, so it kind of bounced same it backwards as your 3DS, a little bit. Hey-oh. Hey-oh. Sorry, Spencer. Ouch. No, it's all right. Um, so to, to bounce it backwards, just to, to reference PAX, because, you know, I was <laughs> uh, We got in the Speaking weeds. of the good Sonic music, uh, there was a duo that kind of sat right at the entry to the um, expo hall, at least if you were coming through from the league area. God, I, I always forget. Like, I think they're like Super Soul Brothers or something like that. But it's just like a couple guys jamming on keyboards, um, doing funk renditions, like lounge funk renditions of songs from games. Yeah. And when I go, when I went by, they were playing the Casino Zone from uh, Sonic Two. Yes. And it was incredible. It was fucking great. Like, yes. just they, they were there all weekend. It was just marvelous. Every time I walked by those guys. Speaking it's of so music, nice to was, see uh, that was theater rhythm there. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. I didn't play it because the demo came out like two days later on 3ds. But um, which I did play today actually. So I yeah, guess I, I can talk that about that. Too. Yeah, it's more theater rhythm. <laughs> that's, that's enough for me. <laughs> it says it comes with like 200 songs. Is that including paid DLC or is that like all it, on the game? No, it's it's all the DLC from the first game. Oh. Do you know I actually paid for a couple of those songs? That's how dumb I was. I love that game, though. And it's not just DLC from the first game. It's DLC from the first game that exclusively came out on iOS. Oh. Well, that's cool. So, yeah. Um, there's a shitload of songs in Curtain Call. Cool. I noticed they dropped the um, CG background music type, like where they would play cinematics out. Yeah, that was So I'm guessing worst. that's for memory reasons. Yeah, they were dumb. They ran slow. They were dumb. Uh, I don't know. Theater of the Curtain Call looks like a great game for fans of that series and if you don't have the first one just get that one instead sounds um, like would, it with all the I would improvements and all this stuff anyone they have with even like a passing interest in music games just because like yeah. even if you don't like the final fantasy music i think you could still squeeze some enjoyment out of that yeah if you play like elite beat agents and miss that kind of game it's similar not like the humor and style is totally different but the kind of rhythmic tapping and stuff is it's satisfying um what else did I play? I played Hotline Miami too. That oh, yeah. is that is Hotline Miami. Yay. But two. But two. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Mm-hmm. Uh cool cool ass game called uh, Miega Kure. Have you guys heard of that? Nope. I'm probably saying that wrong. No, that's that's that sounds like an accurate Japanese uh pronunciation. I just don't know what it is. It's a game about it's a four D platformer. What? Yeah. Oh so, yeah, I did see that, and that was fucking like I could not even fully comprehend it. What'd you play it on? Um, so I, I didn't play it. I watched it. Sorry. Uh, um, but they had they had it set up there. Uh, and it's a just a traversal game from an isometric perspective. But the game basically you see three D like rendered areas, but then you can turn on the fourth axis to see like fourth dimensional space. So like. Mm. It sounds weird, but like the way they the analogy was like, if you're looking at a 2D plane from the side, it looks one dimensional. But as you like move around it, it transforms. 
So, so think Fez? about taking... No, it doesn't really seem... Well, it actually might play a little bit like Fez, now that I think about it. But Fez actually like doesn't hurt your brain to look at in the same way. Hmm. It hurts your brain in all kinds of ways, but not, not the way this did. You should check out a video if you get a chance. Uh, Miega Kure is like super, super, super weird, interesting looking. I have no idea if it'll be fun to play, but... Um, I asked them how they were like rendering stuff in three four D and like getting artists to create assets for it, and it sounds like it's been a really strange experiment for them. So, uh, very lots of non traditional methods to make the game. So, that's cool. Uh, I played Super Meat Boy Forever. Oh, the that's it. iOS one. Huh? Yeah, the Endless Runner. They had it on these giant touch screens, which is kind of cool. I'm more um, curious about the other game those guys are making, the uh, the new Binding new... of Isaac. Oh, there's a new Binding of Isaac coming? For Vita, yeah. I think it's oh, also great. being brought to PS4 and PC. I wonder if that's the one they made for 3DS that Nintendo didn't let them launch. Hmm. I don't think that ever actually got made. It was just like they wanted to do it, but Nintendo said no. I thought I saw a video of it running on a dev kit, but I could be wrong. Hmm. Um... But no, I, I want more Binding of Isaac, and I want it with the proper gamepad, so that sounds well, great. I think it's confirmed for November of this year. Great. Have you played it before? Devices. Yeah, I played the, the PC one, but it was definitely like, I would much rather play this on the controller. Yeah. Does, um, it not, does the PC version not have controller support? It says no. download Joy to Key <laughs> in the options menu. <laughs> and that does not work very well. No, uh, it really doesn't. Um, and then Mugenics, it sounds like, is on hold, which uh, they showed last year a little bit, or talked about a little bit. They gave me a comic book about it, but that was it. Uh, but Meat Boy Forever is a feels like a pretty solid little endless runner. It randomly generates obstacles and stuff, and um, it's nice to see Meat Boy again, since they said they wouldn't really be making another Super Meat Boy. So. Well, it makes sense How to Miami explore to other side, genres. You don't see a lot of indie developers working on sequels. No. I feel like there's like an unspoken like agreement not to do that in indies like it like it might cheapen things or something i don't think that's necessarily true but you just don't see a whole lot yeah i always had that uh that conspiracy theory that fez 2 was never actually going to be made it was just I actually uh, phil fish trolling his audience i actually think you might be right about that in which case i totally approve i think it's a brilliant idea yeah <laughs> me too uh, not to say that Phil Fish deserves any of the criticism necessarily levied at him, at least not to the point that shit went so fucking crazy and he got hacked, but I, I kind of suspect that he would, you know, there's no reason for a Fest 2 to exist, so maybe that was just like a, I don't know, whatever, I don't want to speculate about that. But. What if what if it was an entirely different game, entirely different type of system, entirely different stuff, entirely different wacky concept, the only thing it had in common is that the character wore a Fez? I would love it. <laughs> I'd be down with that. Yep. Just on principle. Um oh, I forgot to mention the worst game I played. What was that? The Pokemon trading card game for iPad. Ugh. Yeah, so show of hands uh, verbally. Uh who's played Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering on a computer or iPad? I yep. have. Cool. I think that leaves Tyler out from that. Tyler's uh, played Hearthstone, I think. Yeah, I play a lot of Hearthstone. <laughs> okay. Nice. I need we to get, play I need some keep, of that, actually. Magic I need to keep playing for it. nerds, though. <laughs> Hearthstone's for awesome people. Uh, so, Hearthstone is for the mentally infirm. 
<laughs> it's for people who just can't who can't hang with the Sarah avatars. It's just uh, I don't know, I don't know. it's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. Go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Keep your planes here. So uh, I'm guessing this Pokemon game is it's trying jank. but not. It's not trying. It's oh? it's the PC interface which with all its dozens of menus and menus upon menus and like and Japanese UI kinda, design basically. Japanese UI design ugly colors they built yeah. in unity which is like kind of alarming because that is not a game you are... they built hearthstone in it too so if oh, you okay. want to see like what a beautiful 2d card game looks like in unity there you fucking go but it's just the slowest roughest i think it's like seven or eight clicks to execute some things i think i counted about 20 buttons in the battle screen when it's your turn it's just like <laughs> incredible and this is a game ostensibly for children like of course adults may enjoy the card game too but like for fuck's sake, this is a game that's, like, they have to be aiming at a younger target demo than the Magic or Hearthstone crowd. And they are just completely missing the mark. And it's so sad to see because, like, I'm not, I don't care if the Pokemon card game sucks on iPad and computer, whatever. I'm worried about the precedent that will set for Nintendo and the wrong conclusions they may draw from that. Like, oh, never mind, mobile is a disaster, we should never have done this. Well, I think that's a, a separate entire case anyways because Pokemon is a little separate from, you know, Link and from Zelda and from Mario and other franchises they have because it's part-owned. It's a share between them and um, the developer. And they do a lot more wacky stuff with that stuff anyways. And um, I can really see, like, they want to try and take... a bit, Doug. How yeah. so? Nintendo the Pokemon company. The Pokemon company. They're not independent. I do Game have Freak, the I think, is a second party, aren't they? I do have the impression they're acting independently on this, though. I mean, they may have it a blessing from Nintendo, but Nintendo mm-hmm. is not working on any of the code. No, there's no, a weird absolutely not. There's a weird balance of power between those two entities. I don't yeah. really understand it. In any um, case, the the idea is they're trying. I'm I'm guessing they're trying to tap into the iOS market in Japan because it's gotten huge. Yep. But this does not look like the way to do it. Yeah, one of the people I talked to had not played Hearthstone, who was on the development team, and that was shocking. Another one had, so it's in in their defense. Word. But, mm. yeah, it was just, I, I gave a, lot, a good deal of feedback, and so did um, uh, so did uh, my girlfriend, who was there with me, since she actually played a shit ton of the card game and would like to play more. But it's, uh, it's not, it's it's a case of the interface just really dampening any enjoyment I would get out of it. It's free to play. You can play it on PC, but I don't recommend it. I just want to try it because I think it might suffer from the same disease that Puzzle and Dragons does in Japan, which is the UI is awful. Hmm. I wonder if that's why Puzzle and Dragons hasn't really... uh, Nintendo over Europe did and put uh, Pokemon, the trading card game, on Virtual Console for three years. Oh. They... Oh! That would work really well. That'd be cool. The I game played a lot game. of that, that game, really enough. Why don't they release Red and Blue on Virtual Console? I don't know, because they hate money. Then they can't make more remakes? Uh, yeah, I guess that makes more sense. I think they'd both sell just fine, though. Probably, but if we're going to sit here asking why doesn't Nintendo do things, I mean, we're never going to go home. We're never going to sleep again. We'll just be <laughs> staring at a wall. Why, Nintendo, Why? <laughs> Uh, I have you one last game I want to mention. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one last game I want to mention real fast, because this is already a fucking crazy long episode, but 
Uh, for me, the game of the show, I'd never heard of it until I just walked upon it and realized I was standing right in front of Asher Volmer. But um, the people who made Threes have a new game called Close Castles, and it's pretty fucking brilliant. Um, it, it has the single best tutorial I've ever seen in a game in that it takes about 20 seconds to beat, and all four players can work through it at the same time. Oh, good. Um, and it's basically like the most streamlined RTS I've ever played, where you can just build towers that shoot enemy guys and little barracks that spawn your guys, and you just draw lines for where you want them to go. And the idea is just attack, to take over the other person's castle oh. by sending enough dudes at it. And it becomes a kind of a great shared screen, tile-based, crazy battle where it feels like it's got that elegance of threes in terms of like the, the very fixed grid and the minimal space and minimal like, you know, it, instead of being four by four, I think it's like eight by eight, but mm-hmm. it feels very fun, tactical and fast, especially when you're playing 2v2 and sharing that big screen. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say, except it was really fun, very, very well designed and I'm looking forward to playing more. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, I'm done talking about games. Yay. Yay. I'd be happy to talk about you know where Pax is going and yeah, what that of means, course. But we are we sh- yeah, fucking we're long, but we should at least address the culture like a little bit, shouldn't we? Yeah. So first, oh. Once upon a time, PAX was very small. Then it got so big, it moved from one building to another. And now the passes are selling out almost immediately for the three-day weekend. And there's now two more PAXs in America alone, never mind, outside of the country. How has this really changed everything? Nick, you've been there since the beginning, minus one year. And Spencer, you've been there for a while, too. Like, What's noticeably different? And do you think the main... How many trophies did you count this year? here's oh. the thing and I, I don't want to sound like too much of an apologist I do have a, um, a disclaimer at the uh, start of the retrospective that I'm writing right now that mm-hmm. basically says I realize that there you know there have been controversies there you know there are problematic aspects to it um, but honestly overall the culture does not seem that toxic at least at PAX um, especially now that there's the diversity lounge there's a lot of to- uh, panels on some great topics. I attended one entitled uh, "Friendly Fire on the Diversity Battlefield." That was a that was a good talk about that. Um, the whole diversity know, be... lounge concept still just sounds so disgusting. <laughs> it sounds so disgusting, but the execution is really not that bad. It's it's a place where you can check out some really cool alt stuff and some cool safe spaces. Like I don't know, I'm into it. But it um, still just begs the question: Is why isn't the entire convention a safe space? Yep. Yeah. It's that's the big problem. I, I saw nothing to indicate that it wasn't, simply that that's a hub for people who want to talk about that type of issue. Again, the you know the panels are going on all weekend. I really don't think it's... I, I still enjoy it. I like going. I think that it's uh, doing well, maybe a little late um, on actually uh, picking up the uh, that area, but I'm, I don't know. I'm going to miss it. Going to miss what? Pax. Oh, oh, that's right. You're leaving. Yeah, it'll come back next year. I will not. A lot changes in a year. Yeah, I'll, I'll build a drone and you can pilot it. Yep. It'll be wearing a trilby. Why would you do that? 
because I can. Ugh. Actually, I don't know how to build a drone, um, but I can find a hat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the problem I had. I the question in my mind was like, I wasn't sure what to expect with a diversity lounge, and I made sure to get up there and talk to people who were at the booths there and see what it was like. And it is kind of weird that you guys have all been to PAX in Seattle. So you know that now there's that sixth floor way up there. You take the big ass escalator. And yep. um, it's around the back corner from there is where the diversity lounge starts. And it's just a bunch of desks lined up against a wall near the like, console free play and stuff like that. And it's cool. They're staffed and there's people there to talk to. And like there were some great things about like the uh, Geek Girl Con had a booth there talking about like what that was going to be here in Seattle. And um Lots of stuff about like LGBTQ inclusiveness, and that's all great. It's good to see that it actually has like an official presence there. And like Spencer said, like there were so much, there were a lot of great panels on these topics to choose from. Like I, I literally had to choose between like panels about like trans issues in gaming versus panels about you know what it's like to be a woman in the games press. Like it was there was a lot of discussion around this, and it really uh, almost overwhelmingly. Uh, it was inescapable packs, which I think is, is good that these conversations are being had because I think for a lot of people, they're not really exposed to it. And uh, if you want to create understanding uh, in a somewhat insular medium like games, it's probably a really good thing to have that option at PAX. Um, that being said, you still see some stuff at the Expo Hall that makes you like shake your head and think like, wow, that's, uh, that's kind of creepy about how it portrays women or like the assertions it's making about who its audience is or the world of tanks um yeah i mean they were in some soviet uniforms and booty shorts so (laughs) god damn it yeah it's just yeah i mean pax has always had a quote-unquote no booth babe policy but the execution on it has always been a little bit scattershot there so, were definitely booth babes last time I was there. Granted, that was like 2009, but still. But no, still. I even before that. I think the last time I went was 2008, and there were definitely just straight-up booth babes there, so... Yeah, they've never been perfect at executing it. And, like, just the same way, they've never been perfect about making packs a safe space. And, like, we can go well, back how, and hang forth. Hang on, and... hang on, hang on. I mean, when has there ever been an issue with that other than the, you know, Mike and Jerry saying something really out of hand? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, it, I guess it comes down to have people felt unsafe there because of how the, start, the event was set up. Right. And the answer has always been yes. Not everybody, not all the time, often just isolated incidents. And obviously, I think the inclusion of... A, you know, diversity-focused panels and spaces is good and helping, you know, generally fix that. But, I mean, it's not really for me to say either. Like, you know, I'm coming in as, like, the target demographic for games from time immemorial. And I'm, you know, I've always felt safe at PAX, but I also try to be more aware of, like, what about the people around me who are different from me? Like, what is their experience like? Well, so, right, but are some of those unsafe things just things that happen when you get large groups of people together, or are they things like um, like blatantly offensive panels or expo displays or things like that? Like, there's a difference. It's It came down to, like, what was being shown on the show floor to some extent, and I didn't go to, obviously, a lot of the panels, but there were a couple that had me shaking my head, like, is that's kind of a weird way to frame this topic, or whatever, but nothing that jumped out at me is like, oh, cool, like girls and games am i right lol like it wasn't that like that bad um i so, guess there's I, a possibility you could point to some of it and say this is just like human society at large yeah but when we have these conversations going on in 
in games media, like there's a question of why can't we be better? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think. I mean, yeah. I, I want to. I don't want to say ignore here, but I want to um, bypass for the time being the uh, black hole the industry is currently sinking into. Um, just just focusing on PAX, just the event itself. I think the most important question is: Do we consider the trend uh, trends that we're seeing? Uh, positive or negative i believe overall they're Mm -hmm. positive again we are all coming from the most privileged possible um perspective on this Mm -hmm. but i think they're positive too i I do think it's a positive trend i'm looking forward to seeing more of this type of stuff in the future yep and i think that really giving that space for the panels to like have those discussions and make them a focal point of packs is a great place to start um Definitely. Actually, um, the Close Castles uh, booth was the only one I saw that had the big safe space sign on it. And I was like, good for you guys. Like, that should be... hope more people do that. Because, like, yeah, PAX implicitly should be a safe space broadly, but it helps to, like, when exhibitors themselves can really make an effort individually to be like, hey, you know, like, there's some fucked up shit out there, but we're really making an effort in the way we present our game and talk to people to make sure that we don't, we're not part of the problem. And yeah. I don't know if this is still going on because again, like Doug and I couldn't be there, so maybe things have changed. But if I were a developer, if I were having a multiplayer playable experience, I would have a zero tolerance policy for any kind of offensive or hate speech, and that includes like things said in jest, like "Oh, you're retarded," or "Oh, you faggot noob," or "Oh, that's so gay." It's like these are things that did come up when I was playing Left 4 Dead 2. Ugh. I didn't hear any any slurs from any exhibitors, which is a good sign, but... No, I, I never fair. heard anything from people actually exhibiting games. I'm talking like, you're in a kiosk, you're playing like a four-player mm. multiplayer experience, and you have headsets. Like, yeah. if I were a developer, like, I would just have de facto, like, if you say these things and we catch you, you're out of here. Like, yep. Unacceptable. Yep. I... I agree, I agree completely that that should be the standard for it. I mean, okay, maybe like somebody says something that's a little bit less offensive, you smack them on the head and go, don't do that again. Because, you know, there's gray areas with all of this, but for certain ones and for stuff that's really bad, like the worst example is what you would hear <clears throat> here in playing an online game. Yeah, you're out. Yanked. Is there gray areas though? I mean, it's yeah. Well, private like, space. It's the developers in the control of it. Like they can choose who they let in their true. Booth and who they don't. Like, that, that's yeah. that's my own personal standards. Like somebody saying, "Oh, that's retarded," would be one thing. Somebody saying something much worse would be another for me. But that's personal. Yeah, so some people, I mean, like those are equally bad things. Yeah, like saying lame to some people is is ableist. Like you know, you need to really. It's yeah. Wow. I mean, it's it's tricky, and I agree with what you're saying here, which is that like. Different words mean different things to different people, and it's really hard to know exactly where to draw the line. Um, so I think that's why it comes down to like there needs to be a culture of respect. Like if someone makes a mistake once, like maybe they you know you call them on it, they acknowledge it, fine, move on from the problem. But if you hear like just repeated hate speech or people just being abusive in any way, like I think it is totally like the exhibitor's prerogative to get those people the hell off that game. Yeah, I think it should be a very short leash, and I think that the um, expo should support developers having that right to do that as well if the question ever came up. 
Totally. I wish we knew more about those policies and regulations because I don't know if they exist or to what degree. But And I'm curious, like, they have lots of tournaments going on during PAX. Like, what is the policy for trash talking? Like, how far mm. do people or can people go with that? I don't know. Spencer, do you know anything about that? I haven't been thrown out yet for yelling ow my dick really loud, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's hilarious, and you're talking. Well, about that's yourself. that's good then. That's good. Yeah, I, uh, I also I, mean, I, I also threatened to fight people's dads. <laughs> I don't think that's hate speech, though. No, you're not going to like assault them. You're talking about open. What if comment. someone has you, two moms? But... Like, <laughs> you're not doing it based off of color or race or creed. You're doing it based off of family, which I don't think is a line that I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> I said some weird stuff when I was competing for the top place in the Plants vs Zombies tournament, but. I don't think I said anything that I would, like, be ashamed for my parents to hear in that context. I don't know. See, I'll I'll admit, actually, that I have deliberately shifted towards the absurd uh, in my trash (laughs) talking. Because I don't want to inadvertently say something that, uh, you know, that offends a friend of mine. Well, also, at a certain point, you also, like, saying bad words or George Carlin's seven dirty words doesn't get a rise out of anybody else. Telling them you'll fight their dad... That's gonna get their notice. <laughs> you know, Nick. I like. So your, I see your what you're doing there, there, and I tip my cap. It, it gets more absurd, though. I mean, I'm I'm up to saying things like, you know, I'll be playing, <laughs> I'll be playing league because I have Stockholm syndrome, and proceed to say something like, "Ziggs is spending a lot of time with your dad these days." Like, I don't know what that means, but it's just coming out of me. Yeah, all your the time. dad and I are building a boat on the weekends. <laughs> you're you're not invited. Boat on the weekend. You don't even know. <laughs> Yeah, Teaching I, me how to play catch, we're shaving. I'm going to drive you to school tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, making me uncomfortable. <laughs> but Nick, I like your metric of uh, just like stuff you feel comfortable your parents hearing. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's sure. kind of like my rule of thumb for the internet. That's a, that's a really good like... That's a really good just general rule for that. That does make a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of things that Spencer's tweeted that he probably wouldn't be comfortable with his parents seeing. Well, I mean, my mom saw a lot of it and just kind of went, I don't understand your Twitter, son. I'm like, all right. Um, (laughs) Tell her, it's okay, mom. It's just hashtag cool and hashtag good. (laughs) Though though in fairness, I mean, even if it's things my my folks would be comfortable uh, seeing, then that pretty much gives me a blank check to t- call anybody I want a shithead. So, because <laughs> we actually called each other that in affection. So <laughs> that's what I call my dog. But he he likes it. Well, you say it in the right tone. He likes anything. Yeah. yeah. Tilts his head and wags his. I'm not going to say tail. He has a cluster of fur there. Yeah, it's like a wisp. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, speaking of dogs, PAX was okay. Um, I don't know. There were some cool things. I saw Hironobu Sakaguchi. Ooh, nice. Yep. You said that was disappointing, though. It was okay. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, you spend so much time translating two ways that it takes a long time to ask questions, and it was was clearly, like, a pre-approved list that James Milkey had to come up with. And also, wasn't Um, it one of, like, the major, like, keynote panels? Yeah, it was a big one. Those are never really good panels to go to for revelations or deep cuts. No. I mean, it was cool when they showed, like, uh, what was that, Ground Zeroes at PAX a couple of years ago? But mostly just because we got to see Hideo Kojima's $500 t-shirt of the day. <laughs> it was so glittery. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't go to the rest of that stuff. But uh, 
So yeah. as PAX has grown, have you, have you seen it become a, a more diverse place, both, you know, in terms of who's coming there and also ages of coming there as well? I think so. I'm, I, I still don't see a whole lot of older people. Like, it's it's rare to see people maybe over even 40, which is a little surprising. But um, I see a lot of, you know, a lot of teenagers, a lot of younger kids with their parents, which is pretty cool because I, I think most of PAX is a pretty okay place for that. Uh, I see so people actually more... bring their kids and not just drop them off. Oh yeah, they want to play league. It's really <laughs> weird. Um, I see a lot more women every year, percentage wise, and that's a, that's encouraging to me. Yeah. About half of my street passes on some days were female, which is pretty cool. Wow, awesome. Yep. Oh man, that is one the one place you would get a lot of street passes in America, isn't it? Dude, I have every puzzle piece. It's I like... feel like I've finally made it it's like that in this world. working at nintendo headquarters yeah. yeah you know living in japan oh yeah I, I said america i said in america at the beginning of that come on now yeah even riding the bus around here i'm lucky if i get one street pass in a day mm. but noa a good place <clears> to have 3ds uh yeah any any last thoughts questions any games that we didn't talk about that you thought we would Honestly, I'm glad to hear that it's getting to be a better place for stuff because, you know, there's been so much awful, evil, terrible, horrible nonsense on Twitter. You'd half expect to see groups of people just yelling at women, group, groups of young men just yelling at women if it was an accurate representation of what Twitter is. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's getting more and more diverse, that the diversity stuff has worked as response and in response to what's been happening the last couple of years at PAX and other places. And that in general, it's still, it's bigger, but it's the same. You know, it's great. I'd actually be happy to see something like PAX develop in Japan, because even though the Tokyo Game Show has open days, it's just very commercial. It's just very, like, here's what you can buy in Not the next, like... like, 12 months. There's no real cultural celebration. Yeah. Right, right. Not unlike it's like the show or, like, uh, Gamescom. Right, mm-hmm. it's like the show floor, but without any panels, without any of the free play areas, with the board yeah. game type of stuff. Like that type of stuff is is a big, big reason why PAX became so cool. Not just the yeah. fact that you can see games as a as not like a member of the press or GameStop, but because you can go and hang out on those god awful beanbags that I hope they. We talked about it before <laughs> the show. We hope they just burn those I, in a I safe place. I sleep on some of the excess of them. Oh God, oh, God. Uh, but. Yeah, that's that's arguably my poof, that's arguably my favorite part of PAX at this point is just kind of going some and makes checking out for... a board game and and just playing that with some friends and some new people and just kicking back. Yeah, the unexpected stuff like stumbling upon ground controls pop up arcade yeah. on the third floor. Wait, what? Yeah, they started hosting a big classic arcade uh, I think a year or two ago, and it's pretty awesome. It's real like, good. Yeah, that does sound games. awesome. That sounds Hydro perfect. Thunder. Oh yeah. It somehow makes up for some of that absence uh, down in Kyoto, but that's more like the indie side of things. Still, not really the like, let's get gamers in here to have fun with each other's company or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if there's anything that can be done about that. You know, there's groups around here that do organize some stuff, but I wonder if there's more that can be done to help encourage that, or if it's maybe something that wouldn't work in Japan. Who knows? You guys should yeah. look into starting uh, an indicator annex. Um, which the LA-based indicate thing they like have people they send builds out to people who want to organize get-togethers in their cities. Austin had one that was really cool. There's and definitely just... uh, communities like that for uh, fighters over here. Okay, 
but I'm not sure if that would translate to like a multi-genre style event. It's a good question. Like I obviously like in the U you might get expats to be interested in like playing Johann Sebastian Joust or Towerfall or Spy Party or things like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if those games even like register in Japan. Actually, both I didn't get to play uh, Joust this year. Oh, we've got four controllers at my house. Fuck, we should play some Joust. Yeah, we should. Anyways, this. Do you play with real shocks? Yes, both. Any of them. I'm asking Nick. Does he specifically <laughs> play with moves or tool shocks? Yes. Both? <laughs> I have two moves and two dual shock fours. You have moves? Yeah, I, they were like ten bucks on Amazon the day that Sports Friends came out, so I was like, hell yeah. Huh. I've That's never the only actually thing I seen with. a move for sale in the wild in Japan. It's a pretty dumb uh, thing. I think I've seen them at stores just in the like in that like they put a piece of paper and a DVD slip cover and put it out on the shelf, but I've never because they don't you know, they keep them into a, in a storage area instead of, like, actually on the shelf because shelf space is such a premium. I have mm-hmm. seen uh, move accessories in bargain bins, like charging cradles and everything, but I've never seen the controllers themselves. Strange. They feel good. I, I, dot, I guess dot, I've dot. played it <laughs> one game. I don't know if I'll play anything else with it, but... Oh, you mean yeah, you didn't go get that SOCOM thing? Oh, no, dude, I missed out on that. Oh. Too bad. And I could play Heavy Rain with it, but I don't have a navigation second controller, so... Well, you already played Heavy Rain once, and you're not supposed to play it again anyways. No, and I really don't want to, because I don't want to encourage David Cage too much. Nope. I wouldn't even advocate playing that game once. Jason! (laughs) I made our top ten list. Jason! Oh, how little we knew. Yeah. Alright, we should end this. This is the longest podcast in history, so... um, We're getting to Giant Bombcast length. Yeah, right? We haven't even talked about junk food yet. Um, Tyler, Doug, Spencer, thank you for joining me. We'll be back with a shorter topic next week. In the meantime, would you please tell people where they can find you, Tyler? I'm uh, at Tyler A. Martin on most social media. Again, I haven't really been tweeting a whole lot lately. Maybe I'll get back on that horse. It's a fun time to be on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. And I personally apologize to our audience for endorsing Heavy Rain. (laughs) <laughs> uh doug how about you you can find me at douglas bonham on twitter where i'm talking about sports 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 and nothing but sports just to make tyler happy um if you want to follow me on instagram i'm d bonham because if you want to see some interesting photos or weird photos or random photos of life in japan feel free um and otherwise i'll be publishing some stuff on siliconsasquatch.com very soon it's a website we have. Yes, it uh, is. Spencer. I am at Spencer Tordoff on Twitter, where I occasionally lament the state of the lower 48. Additionally, I'm working on a couple pieces on Silicon Sasquatch right now, a retrospective on PAX, and a piece for our upcoming feature, which we will all be um, having contributions for. Yeah, that might start next week. Okay, actually. cool, cool. In that case, Sweet. I need to finish mine. Uh, and then... Same. Finally, I am uh, also... My work is at uh, playeraccounts.net, where I am still looking for more stories, but have a couple things possibly lined up. So uh, okay. expect more of that before the end of the year, or I will um, really sour at myself. It'll be a whole thing. 
Speaking of player accounts, you guys should all go listen to it. Uh, the latest episode features uh, Austin Montville, who's a local Seattle developer who made is working on the incredibly awesome sports ball, and it's a good show. Uh, and as for me, I'm Nick Cummings. You can find me at Twitter, at Nick Cummings, uh, everywhere else on the internet, pretty much under that same name. And uh, I guess I better get going on my list of 10 games, because we're rolling that out soon. That's going to be a pretty cool feature, I think. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening. Please subscribe on Stitcher Radio or iTunes. Keep listening. Tell your friends. Check out our blog sometime if you don't read it. Uh, we try to write interesting stuff. Uh, if you hate big words, I wrote a bunch of limericks, as we mentioned. So have fun with that. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks. Silicon Sasquatch is an independent blog covering the social and cultural significance of games based in Portland, Oregon. Our five team members are Doug Bonham, Nick Cummings, Tyler Martin, Aaron Thayer, and Spencer Tordoff. This episode of the Squatchcast was produced by Nick Cummings. We publish new essays, editorials, analyses, and everything in between all the time at siliconsasquatch.com. Follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash siliconsasquatch, or on Twitter, where we are at Sasquatch Gaming. If you enjoyed our show, please tell your friends and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode.